0: John 19 and reading from verse 16. Finally, Pilate handed Jesus over to them to be crucified. And so the elders took charge of Jesus. Carrying his own cross, he went out to the place of the skull, which in Aramaic is called Golgotha. Here they crucified him. With him, two others, one on each side, with Jesus in the middle. Pilate had a notice prepared and fastened to the cross. It read, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. Many of the Jews read the sign, for the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city, and the sign was written in Aramaic, Latin, and Greek. The chief priests of the Jews protested to Pilate, Do not write the King of the Jews, but that this man claimed to be the King of the Jews. Pilate answered, What I have written, I have written. When the soldiers crucified Jesus, they took his clothes, dividing them into four shares, One for each of them with the undergarment remaining. This garment was seamless, woven in one piece from top to bottom. Let's not tear it, they said to one another. Let's divide it by lot who will get it. This happened that the scripture might be fulfilled which said, they divided my garments among them and cast lots for my clothing. So this is what the soldiers did. Near the cross of Jesus stood his mother, his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. Jesus saw his mother there, and the disciple, whom he loved standing nearby, he said to his mother, Dear woman, here is your son. And to the disciple, here is your mother. From that time on, this disciple took her into his home. And later, knowing that all was now completed, and so the scripture would be fulfilled, Jesus said, I'm thirsty. A jar of wine vinegar was there and they soaked a sponge in it, put the sponge in the stalk of the hyssop plant and lifted it to Jesus' lips. When he had received the drink, Jesus said, it is finished. With that, he bowed his head and he gave up his spirit. Now it was the day of the preparation and the next day was to be a special Sabbath because the Jews did not want the bodies left on the crosses during the Sabbath. He asked Pilate to have the legs broken and the bodies taken down. The soldiers therefore came and broke the legs of the first man who had been crucified with Jesus and then those of the other. When they came to Jesus and found that he was already dead, they did not break his legs. Instead, one of the soldiers pierced Jesus' side with a spear, bringing a sudden flow of blood and water. The man who saw it has given testimony and his testimony is true. He knows that he tells the truth and he testifies so that you also may believe. These things happen so that the scripture will be fulfilled. Not one of his bones will be broken. And then another scripture says, they will look on the one they have pierced. Later, Joseph of Arimathea asked Pilate for the body of Jesus. Now, Joseph was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly because he feared the Jews. With Pilate's permission, he came and took the body away. He was accompanied by Nicodemus, the man who earlier had visited Jesus at night. Nicodemus brought a mixture of myrrh and aloes about 75 pounds and taking Jesus' body the two of them wrapped it with the spices and strips of linen. This was in accordance with Jewish burial customs. At the place where Jesus was crucified there was a garden and in the garden a new tomb in which no one had ever been laid because it was the Jewish day of preparation and since the tomb was nearby they laid Jesus there. Well, is a great chapter in God's Word for us to learn from, so let's pray for God's help as we do so. Father, we thank you for your Word, thank you that you are a speaking God and you speak through your Word to us. We pray that we would listen, listen with the expectancy, that we hear your voice speaking to us. Help us to listen and also to obey. We ask that in Jesus' name. Amen here's a rhetorical question for you and I know the answer because your answer will be the same as mine do you find it easy to be open about your faith? let me create a scenario for you 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 get a new job or you come up to uni or you get a new class or whatever or new neighbours come in how quickly do you tell them that you're a Christian? usually takes me about three years and I'm a minister it's not easy is it? What persuades us to be open about our faith? What persuades us to be open about following Jesus? What will make us courageous as Christians to stand with Jesus? Well, the answer in John's account of the death of Jesus is when you come to understand the significance of Jesus' death. Not that you understand simply that he was crucified to forgive our sins, but when you come to understand exactly what happened and how it relates to you. the end of the passage we read, there's a very moving ending. Two men, Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus, just two men who had encountered Jesus earlier on in their lives. Nicodemus back in John chapter 3, remember he came to Jesus in the darkness, fear of being seen, and had that conversation about being born again. He popped his head up in chapter 7, said he was a follower, been shouted down, gone silent. Joseph of Arimathea, we read that he'd always been a secret disciple. And these two men, ordinary men, Joseph of Arimathea, who had been a secret disciple, and Nicodemus, the man of the night, this day came out and very publicly pledged their loyalty to Jesus. What made them do it? They understood the cross. Now, John leaves a lot out in his account of Jesus' death. He leaves out the cry of forsakenness, the temple curtain, for example, being torn in two. And John, I guess, would have expected his readers to have known Mark's Gospel, the first Gospel, But what John puts in, he does for a purpose. He tells the story as it is. He was crucified, the soldiers divided up his clothes, he hung on the cross, he was thirsty, he had a drink, he cried out, he died. They went to Pilate to put him in a tomb. That's what happened. But John laces it with significance. Four things you'll see on the sheet. The declaration of his kingship, completion of his mission. The perfect sacrifice that forgives sins. And they're in the courage. Now, you see what John is saying. When you grasp that hanging on that cross was the king of kings, he didn't look like it nor feel like it, but he is. When you grasp that his kingship, his reign is from a cross. When you grasp that on that cross, when he was lifted up, he disarmed the devil of all his power. When you get it, that when he said it is finished, his whole work on earth is done, and his work is done, and you get the baton now. You grasp that, and when you grasp that every sin you've ever sinned, every thought that's sinful you've ever thought, every affection in your life and heart that was sinful, every motive that was sinful, was paid for and forgiven at that moment. When you grasp all that, you will have the courage, like Joseph and Nicodemus, to come out into the open
1: even when you have a lot to lose
0: and nothing to gain, and say, yes, Jesus, I will stand with you. That's John's logic. Firstly, the declaration of his universal reign. Verse 18, here they crucify Jesus, and with two others, one on each side, and Jesus in the middle. John does not dwell on the details of crucifixion, and nor will I in the ancient world. The words... And they crucified him, would strike a chord of fear into the hearts of all. Every Roman town had a place of crucifixion visible so people could see it. The worst form of torture and execution ever devised by man. Here they crucified him. In the middle of three. Why? Well, I don't think the soldiers cared at all who went there, who went there, who went in the middle. They just did it grabbed one, crucified him, grabbed another. But John makes the point that Jesus is lifted up, lifted high. I guess the soldiers that day had no idea that the picture of the three crosses would become an iconic symbol in religious art for centuries. But yet Jesus is in the middle between the one who would accept him and the one who would reject him. And they pinned a notice to his cross. That was not uncommon. We normally say kind of terrorist, don't do what he has done or this will be your end. But on Jesus' cross this sign said, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. Nazareth, the despised place in Judea. The worst place to come from. Kind of one horse dorp. I'll resist any parallels of Scottish equivalents of Nazareth. Pilate is simply mocking them from that dead end place you claim as the king of the Jews. But that's just a little insight into the gospel. The weakness of the Lord Jesus king on the cross. The weakness of the town he was born in or town he lived and grew up in rather. But there's a deeper significance. Pilate makes a proclamation. Verse to uh, at 20, many of the Jews read the sign for the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city. The sign was written in Aramaic, Latin, and Greek. The sign was visible to all. That's John's point. It was near the city. Everyone could see the sign. Everyone could see it. So, talk of the town. It was written in what? Aramaic, Latin, and Greek. More than equivalent. What would it be? English, Spanish, Arabic. It's a multilingual declaration of his kingship. If that was today, it would be on every website, every pop-up on the internet. You'd see it everywhere, this universal declaration that Jesus is king. And uh, the chief priest protested, don't write the king of the Jews, but that he claimed to be the king of the Jews. And Pilate, well, Pilate's not making some kind of theological point here, he's just vindictive, he's just the man in charge. He says, what I have written, I have written. And he says again, more than he knows, what I have written, I have written. The public declaration to the world that Jesus is the king of kings. It's visible, it's multilingual, it's understandable, it's definite. The declaration of his universal reign. Jesus of Nazareth from the despised place on earth is the ruler of all the people of God. Therefore the ruler of the new heavens and the earth, the kingdom to come. He is the king of God's people. Why is the cross the place from which Jesus rules? Well, as Paul puts it in Colossians, he cancelled the guilty verdict against his people. And when he was nailed to the cross, he nailed the power of evil for eternity. The declaration of his universal reign. Now, let me go back to this issue about being open about our faith, about standing up for Jesus when it is not worth it, humanly speaking. What makes you do it? Does it look like or feel like? You've often heard me say this. Does it look like or feel like Jesus is king? The answer is no. Yeah? No, it doesn't. It just doesn't in our society, our world. It looks like Pilate's on his throne. Pilate's in the palace. Jesus is on a cross. It does not look like Jesus lifted up, reigns. But the reality is, he does then, and he does now. The Lord Jesus reigns on his throne over the universe today. and One day we will all stand before him and see that he does, and one day every knee will bow before him. And the great thing about understanding now and grasping that he does is that it liberates us to be open, follow our king, the declaration of his reign. Second, the completion of his mission. Last week, if you were here, we looked at Jesus' trial, and all through his trial power language dominated. Power, power, power. Here it's completion language. It's finished, it's done. Just look with me, verse 24. This happened that the scriptures might be fulfilled. Verse 28, later knowing that all was completed and so the scripture would be fulfilled. Verse 30, Jesus said it is finished. Verse 36, these things happened so that the scripture would be fulfilled. Jesus is entirely in control of his walk to the cross. Think of Gethsemane. He's entirely in control. Think of him in the the, the garden when he's arrested in front of these legions of Roman soldiers. Jesus opens his mouth and they shrink back. Who's in charge? Back in John 4, for example, there are many references John says this to the Samaritan woman he said, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. In his prayer in John 17 he prays, I have brought you glory on earth Father by finishing the work you gave me to do. And now we are seeing that work finished. There's nothing more for him to do. It's all done. And we see that in the way John tells uh, this in, in three things that happen. Firstly, um, his clothes and the fulfillment of Scripture. The four soldiers who crucified Jesus, what they do is they, they, they strip him of his clothes, they divide up his clothing. There's no particular significance there, it's just a perk of a dirty job. You get his sandals or his cloak or his belt or whatever it is. And then they remove his undergarment, and it's one of these seamless robes woven from top to bottom. What they, they don't think, they're not thinking theologically, they're just thinking, well, it would be daft to rip it up. Let's just one of us have it, so they cast lots for it. But in their actions, they fulfill Psalm 22. Just let me pause there for a moment and don't, don't let that bypass you, that the Psalms written hundreds and hundreds of years before these events fulfilled in an instant because it's the living word of God. It's striking. Just in these tiny details, when these rough and ready executioners rip up most of his clothes. Yet they don't do it with this one and they cast lots and Psalm 22 is fulfilled. They don't know what they're doing. Psalm 22 talks about his thirst, his hands, his feet being pierced, his clothes being divided, his lots being cast. It's all coming an end and then secondly verses 25 to 27 his words to his mother and John and let's not miss the emotion of this striking you've got these four soldiers and then suddenly the narrative shifts to four loyal disciples Jesus hanging on his cross his feet probably six feet above the ground Looking down and standing there is his mum and his earthly mother. His mother's sister, and Mary, the wife of Clopas Mary Magdalene. And he says something very strange to his mum. He says, Woman. And what he's doing at that moment is he's saying, Well, my life on earth has come to an end my mission has come to an end my my being your son my being your physical son as a human is coming to an end now I am your saviour and John my best friend the writer of this gospel the man whom Jesus loved is your son and you are his mother and that is your Home. It's, very, it's very gracious of Jesus, isn't it? The Son of God reigns from the cross. He says to his mother, You're now you're, you're humanity, you're, you're a woman. And yet, here's your son. And John, here's your mother. He leaves humanity. And finally, 28 to 30, in this completion of his mission section, he leaves his life. Verse 28 later, knowing that all was now completed or finished. One of you have been to a funeral of a young person. Some of you will know of that very personally. Somebody, say, who's 32 or 33. He dies. And you're going to hear at a funeral, because it's true, their life was cut short. The tragedy of unfinished life, all the potential unrealized. And yet, when Jesus dies as a man of 32 or 33, nothing is unfinished. No plans have been frustrated. There is no untimeliness about his death. There are no failed hopes, no unfinished works. Everything is now done. So that, there it is again, scripture would be fulfilled. Jesus said, I am thirsty. Why was he thirsty? Because crucifixion robbed you of everything physically. Jesus probably wants simply to cry out on the cross. And he does that in a minute. And he probably wants thirst to allow him to do that, to be quenched. And yet, in the very act of asking for a drink, scripture again is fulfilled. And one more line of prophecy is fulfilled on the cross. He's given wine vinegar to drink and with his lips quenched enough to speak, He cries out, the other Gospels tell us, three simple words and they mean what they say, it is finished. Everything is finished. Everything my father has given me to do, everything about my work of redemption for humanity is done. Every sin of the worst sinner who will ever trust in me It is finished. And if you and I are Christian believers, or if you're not, this is what is an offer. Every sinful action, past, present, future, every single sinful word, that was a slip of my tongue. I meant to say every sinful word, every single sinful word, every single sinful thought or affection or imagination past, present and future it is finished you see how in John's narrative grasping these things makes you come clean about your loyalty to Jesus Every, everything finished his work is done With that cry, John says, he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. That's an unusual way to speak of someone's death. How would you write this? He would say, as Jesus cried out, he died. As Jesus cried out, life left him. John doesn't say that. As Jesus died, he left life. Who's in control. He uh, uh, bowed his head. The Son of God in control, even at the moment of his death. And he gave up his spirit. and there is I think there an anticipation of the spirit that will come to the church and to the believer his mission is done why does that motivate you to come clean and be open about Jesus because when his mission is done yours starts he is raised he's ascended the spirit comes the church is birthed and the mandate to the church is to take the gospel to the ends of the earth he has done his stuff our job is to go and tell the gospel his work is done our job is to go and tell. Third, the perfect sacrifice that forgives sin. After Jesus has died, after he has given up his spirit, John tells us three more things that happen before his body is taken down from the cross. Firstly, his bones are unbroken. Um, John tells us this again in a very natural way. The Jews didn't want bodies left on crosses during the Sabbath. They were a sign of the curse of God. And So they asked Pilate if they could break the legs of the victims to hasten their death. Apparently, smashing the legs of crucified prisoners um, after they'd hung on the cross for 24 hours was an act of mercy. So they asphyxiated. So the Roman soldiers go out and do it. They come to Jesus and find he's dead. So they leave him. Why do they leave him? Because he's dead. There's nothing significant about the, it's normal they would often have found people dead and they wouldn't waste their time but again scripture is fulfilled I could take you to various places in the Old Testament, Exodus 12 the instructions for the Passover lamb, go and find a Passover lamb, a perfect spotless lamb whose bones are unbroken And all of a sudden, again, Jesus dies, his bones are unbroken. The perfect sacrifice for sin. And then this piercing of his side, and out comes blood and water. Blood and water. Why blood and water? John doesn't tell us here, but he does in his first letter. Perhaps someone said to him, John, you should have told us. So he does so in his first letter. Why blood and water? Well, blood is the cleansing blood that forgives sin. Water. And all through John's gospel, water that signifies being washed clean. How are you washed clean? With the blood of Jesus that flows out with water, cleansing you. The water signifying also the Holy Spirit that will come. The living water. John's at pain it's striking, isn't it? That this really happened. I saw it, I saw it, I saw it, I saw it. The one who writes these things testifies it's true. John saw it, remember John was there. I saw this, it's true, it's a sign, and, and faith comes through believing in signs, the sign of the cross. The blood and the water, perfect forgiveness, and finally the pewing of the Lord Jesus the piercing of his side. Zechariah writes, they will look on the one they have pierced. And in the context of Zechariah, people will look on the one that has been pierced, the Lord Jesus, in this life, and they will believe in him as their saviour. They will repent. They will mourn. But for many they will not look on him in this life and believe in him as their saviour but they will look on him pierced one day for he bears still the nail marks in his hands, his feet, his side and they will follow at his feet and they will plead for him for forgiveness and he can give them none then but he can now for you, if you're not a Christian what's on offer? perfect sacrifice for sin every thought, every action, every deed, every word every single one, past, present, future dealt with, gone to look at his pierced side where blood and water flow out to cleanse you they will look on the one they have pierced, come with repentance and lay hold of him finally then verses 38 to 42 the courage to be open about our faith when you're a preacher, you get excited sometimes. Really? But you do. You do. It's a great job preaching this stuff every week. And this is a wonderful, wonderful little passage here at the end. It really is magnificent. It's just so us, isn't it? It's so us to be like Joseph of Arimathea, the secret disciple. When your mates give you a hard time, you just go quiet, just like he did. Or like. Uh, Nicodemus, the man of the dark, who comes to be like, "What's Nicodemus like for us?" It's the kind of people who just come to church and they just kind of come clean and open about their faith on a Sunday, to be like me, you know, I'm happy to tell you all I'm a Christian. A half nine, half 11, half six on a Sunday. It's a little harder though during the week. And yet these two men, when there's nothing, nothing to be gained and all to be lost. Say, yes, I'm a follower of this man, Jesus. They did it before Pilate. We can do it with our mates, with our friends, with our neighbours. Let's read these verses again. 38. Later, Joseph of Arimathea asked Pilate for the body of Jesus. Joseph was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly because he feared the Jews. With Pilate's permission, he came and took the body away. He was accompanied by Nicodemus, the man who earlier had visited Jesus at night. Nicodemus brought a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about seventy-five pounds. Taking Jesus' body, the two of them wrapped it with the spices and strips of linen, and they buried the body. Two men coming out into the open as disciples of Jesus, when they had everything to lose and nothing to gain. And of course, it's it's true, isn't it, that that when we are faced with a situation of coming out into the open and professing our loyalty to Jesus, when does it ever usually feel like we have everything to gain and nothing to lose? In our personal evangelism or in bigger issues in church life, does it not normally feel like we have everything to lose and nothing to gain? That's how it is. There were a number of the Jewish religious leaders who knew Jesus was the Christ, but they didn't dare say so publicly, they were frightened, frightened of being put out of the synagogue, about being excluded, about the cold cold stare of exclusion, the raised eyebrows. You ever been in a social context and you say, what you can't help it because someone says, what are you doing tomorrow, or what did you do yesterday, and you say, I'm a Christian, And in our culture, people are quite polite, but you can just sense their eyebrow goes up and they think, You're not, are you? It's true, isn't it? It's just how it is for us. And then Nicodemus, we encountered him, as I said, in chapter 3 when they had that discussion about being born again. He's a man of the night. Who operates under the cover of darkness for fear of being seen? When our children were at Word Alive a few weeks ago, there was a thousand kids on site, and our middle um, child said, "Daddy, you know it's really easy being a Christian at Word Alive because all everybody else is too. It's just how it is, isn't it?" And I said to him, "Well, you've got to you've got to learn that the Lord Jesus wants you to be a Christian." but well, not everyone else is because that's how they hear about Jesus and he said to me, but daddy, that's not easy and it's not easy, is it? Nicodemus, he pops up in chapter 7 he, he kind of says, I am a Christian or I am a follower of Jesus in chapter 7 and he gets shouted down mocked so chapters 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14 15, 16, 17, 18, he's silent where is he? and wonderfully, here he is going along with Joseph of Arimathea with everything to lose and nothing to gain. And Nicodemus has spices fit for a king because he is the king. He's grasped the cross. What brought Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus out into the open? Was it these astonishing miracles Jesus performed? They heard about his changing water into wine at the wedding. Or What about the news about Lazarus being raised from the dead? That must have spread like wildfire. Did that bring them out into the open? No. And miracles were Jesus to perform today would not bring people out to be followers of him. What brings us out into the open when we have everything to lose, nothing to gain, is understanding what happened when Jesus died in a personal way two people, personal understanding about what happened when Jesus died. It is at the cross we will come to stand for Jesus. Now let me finish with this. What is it about the cross that makes you open up about your faith? And I'd let me just assure you that very few of us are extroverts. It's just, what the Lord Jesus wants from us is just an honesty that we follow him. Little ways or big ways sometimes. What liberates you to do this? It's not that we all believe that Christ was crucified, we all do for Christians. It's what that means. One, it's to understand that he is the king that in spite of what it looks like or feels like he rules it's to live your life to navigate through this world your three score years and ten or whatever God gives you, it's to navigate through this life with this this kind of visual picture in your minds of the fact that the Lord is king he does not look like it nor feel like but he is, think of Daniel in the Old Testament as he faced King Nebuchadnezzar who did it look like and feel like was the king, Nebuchadnezzar Pilate then, and yet Daniel lived his life with that vertical gaze that the Lord is king. Therefore, I will live like that. That's the first thing. What else motivates you to be open about your faith, big or small, or to stand loyal to Jesus when you've everything to lose, that his mission is complete? It's like a relay baton. He's finished his work, and he gives it to you. He, he thrusts it, in a sense, into the hands of Joseph and Nicodemus. And they take the baton. And we take the baton. And we proclaim Christ crucified. Because he won't. Because he's given us the task to do it. We tell them about the cross. Our mission is to go and tell, as we'll see next week and the week after. The third thing that motivates you to be open about your faith is to grasp the perfect sacrifice for sin. Remember his unbroken bones, the blood and the water, every word, every thought, every action, every affection, every impulse, past, present, future, every single one, it is finished, it is finished, it is gone, the wrath of God extinguished, fully forgiven. What a liberty that gives us in life and eternity, such that we have the courage to be open about our faith. And when you're open about your faith with all the fears that you have very gently being loyal to Jesus when you take a stand maybe in a big way one of the wonderful things we're beginning to see as a church is that God takes care of us. He does. He provides. He asks prayers. And I wonder if Joseph and Nicodemus that day when they, they kind of encouraged each other who would have more bottle to go to Pilate I wonder if they would ever have thought that what they did was written in John's Gospel to encourage thousands millions of Christians through history like them to be open to stand up to speak out Jesus when they had nothing to gain but everything to lose. What motivated them to do it because they realised they'd gained everything worth having and have lost nothing worth holding on to. Our Father, we thank you for these wonderful chapters in your word, the death of Jesus. Thank you for John's way of telling it. We thank you that on the cross the universal reign of Jesus was declared to the world that his mission is done and that his sacrifice is perfect. And Lord, may these facts, his kingship, the fact that his work is done and the work is now ours to take on and that the sacrifice is perfect and complete. Motivate us to be open about our faith, to stand for the Lord Jesus, to stand on the truth of Scripture. Even at times in our lives when we have much to lose and nothing to gain, thank you that you promised to provide. And Lord, really in the little times of life, just the conversations, just the tough things that we find at work, just being open about our faith, even saying we're in church on a Sunday, we all find that difficult. Help us to very gently and with confidence in your cross. Just be open that we are followers of the Lord Jesus. And help us to remember Joseph and Nicodemus. They're like us, they're fearful. And yet how wonderfully, wonderfully you use their openness for the blessing of many, not least us this morning, as we as we have the privilege of, of thinking through this, this wonderful Episode in your word may we not be men and women of the dark but of the light and Lord if there's anyone here who's not yet a convinced Christian we pray that grasping just what it was that Jesus did would liberate them to gaze at his pierced side and come with contrition and repentance to they hold of the full complete and everlasting forgiveness that he offers all who believe in Him. Amen.